I'm Jonathan Hayward. I'm the CEO of Impress, and welcome to another episode of the Impress podcast. This is our regular opportunity to catch up on interesting, exciting, maybe even alarming developments in the media landscape, particularly those developments that affect the independent publishers who are the members of Impress, but also developments that affect their audiences and really anyone who cares about the future of journalism and the future of news. This is the first podcast of 20. 19, and we wanted to kick off the year with a positive discussion about opportunities and particularly what 2019 might hold. So we're really pleased to be joined by Mark Little, digital media entrepreneur, author, former journalist, broadcaster, award-winning foreign correspondent and TV anchor for RTE in Ireland. Now, in 2010, Mark founded Storyful, the first social media news agency and an early pioneer in the battle against misinformation, a battle that has stepped up significantly over the last year or two. And I think we're going to be talking about that a bit later on. But Mark went from Storyful to Twitter in 2013, Vice President for Media Partnerships, and then um, MD. Now, for the last couple of years, Mark has been developing a new project, which is about to hit um, hit the world. It's called Kinzen, a platform with the mission of giving every citizen a daily news experience that earns their trust. And we're really pleased to see just now that Reuters, the Reuters Institute in Oxford, have just called this the startup to watch in 2019. So, Mark, welcome to the podcast. I'm honoured to be here, Jonathan. Thanks for the introduction. It sounds, uh, I was listening to that going, well, I'd love to be involved in that project. Yeah. <laughs> Who is that guy? <laughs> um, so, look, Mark's joining us from Dublin um, down the line. So, um, Kinzen, um, yeah. strap, strap line is that the news is broken. So, who broke it and what are, what are you going to do about it? So I suppose I've been obsessed for now the guts of a decade um, with how people cope. I suppose first the problem is information overload. So I suppose if you think back to the old days, and I'm certainly old enough to remember this, and I think, Jonathan, you probably are as well, when you picked up the paper in the morning or you listened to the morning news of Radio 4 or in our case RTE in Ireland, and uh, you saw the evening news in the evening and you had a few journalists who navigated the world for you. It was fairly predictable, reliable, and then so Suddenly, the social platforms arrived and I kind of think destroyed all the routines we had. We could get news at any time, all day, all night. And if you look at the statistics, it shows us that, you know, most people now are coping with more information than at any time in history and they're overloaded. And where I think I started out on my journey was I left uh, broadcasting because I was obsessed about how could we help people cope with all of this noise and find the real news that affects their lives. And that was what promoted me to uh, create Storyful, which ended up working with other news organizations. I went to Twitter. I became obsessed with how do we help Twitter users find the signal in the noise. And then about the time I left Twitter, the whole misinformation crisis became apparent to the world. We've been working on solutions to that. But obviously, uh, I think what I realized was that the, the, the era of the social newsfeed 
which I think emerged around the late 2000s and has certainly dominated news behaviors, has created big problems. And the first is overload of information. The second, I think, is just this pervasive mistrust by people when they look for information on social platforms uh, about where it comes from and, and whether it's healthy and reliable and empowering. And a final interesting part was, was the feeling of manipulation that people, I think, are starting to feel in a really keen, almost painful way. Um, so you mentioned the Reuters report, this predictions for 2019, and the authors there say this will be the year when people start leaving social platforms, looking for ways to personally navigate this really complicated, overloaded world of information, and they're looking for tools and services and platforms to help them. And there really isn't at the moment, uh, as far as I was concerned when I started out in the Kinzen journey with uh, my co-founders, Paul and Anya, we just couldn't see anybody out there that was thinking about this problem from the mm. user's mm. perspective because everybody so you, else is, yeah you know. so you said just, just to jump in so you, you you were you were at that point you were still at twitter you you, you moved away from twitter and you began to think there's a there's a there's a massive need a big social need and maybe a market for this so there's a gap but what is the shape of the kinzen product that you're going to fit into that gap so what we think about first of all is getting control so if you look at any uh any way you get news online at the moment you don't know how the algorithms work you don't have any way really of deciding that you know at 8 a.m. in the morning, I'm a commuter. I need to catch up on the news from last night. It needs to be delivered to me in 15 minutes. It needs to talk about where I live, but it also needs to talk about my profession, maybe about my passion in life. And then by lunchtime, I'm a different person. I need some <laughs> different source of information. By the evening, all I want to know is what I'm going to want to watch on Netflix tonight. Mm -hmm. On a Saturday, I'm a parent. On a Sunday, I'm a sports fan. Where is the service that allows me to create a routine that empowers me every day, that understands mm -hmm. the topics I, I know about and I care about, understands my journey to work in the morning and my journey home, and then also connects me with ideas that broaden my mind. I don't want to get trapped in the same old friends and family recommended this to you. And so our first job with Kinzen is to build uh, controls that allow you to set the topics you want to see, allow you to understand the routine you want to build, to understand that you want to broaden your mind, not get trapped in the same old stuff. So we, we care about introducing independent voices to you, not the same old sources. And then finally, we were really inspired by a lot of the health and fitness and self-care apps that we saw emerging last year, like Calm, which promotes meditation. Uh, there's an app for everything from calorie intake to you know, your sleep patterns. Why was there not something that allowed you, for example, to set a 30-day routine routine to creating a news experience that empowered you step by step, setting your goals, your intentions, and then essentially allowing you to see the improvement every day in the relevance, in the sense of productivity of your news routine. And most importantly, did you come out with new ideas, things that challenged you or surprised you or motivated you? And we wanted to build the app for that. And that's what mm. Kinsen is mm. when people will experience it, hopefully very shortly after we speak. Uh, and this, this is listening to by, by uh, your listeners, uh, we hope to have the very first iteration of the app, which we are really proud to share. Um, and we've been trying to build it with our own community, been testing features, but you know, we want to put this in the hands of ordinary people who this year, you know, 2019 say to themselves, this is the year that I finally build myself a news routine that makes my life better. Um, yeah. I think that's the, the goal for us in this year. 
It's an exciting goal. So you and I, I mean, I guess we're both news junkies. I guess most people listening to this are probably news junkies. We're getting, you know, we are keen to, to get as much news from as many sources as we can. We're going through Apple News, Google News, social media. We've probably got a range of different news sites with apps on our phones. Um Say you know. So at the moment, I use Apple News quite a lot as a as a quick one stop shop. It knows me quite well. It feeds me various UK American sources of of news. What's the difference if I'm interfacing with Kinzen? What am I going to find that's very different about it? So what we found we start looking at all these apps, and I use a whole range of them. I've like a Frankenstein dashboard on my mobile phone and on my browsers here on my on my laptop. Uh, what we missed from everything was the user. Nobody actually sat down and thought, how do I understand their lives every day? How do I understand the fact that some person, you know, we have like, for example, some aggregators that will say, here's your local news. Now, you and I may have completely different definitions of local news. If, you know, I'm young and single, don't have kids, and I live in a rented apartment, my idea of what's important locally is radically different from the person next door who's married, got kids, got kids in education, uh, uses uh, the tube rather than cycles to work. So I think understanding the user and what they need from news is the very first thing. And when we looked Mm -hmm. at personalization, which you're all very familiar with, which is the way the algorithm works out who you are and what your tastes are, it uses these kind of unconscious signals like your browser history or you happen to be in this location. Like I can tell you, my definition of news is so radically different to my next door neighbor. Uh, But these apps are like, no, no. We're telling you you live here and we've got deals with 50 publishers and they just happen to be, you know, the very top publishers in the world. Or I'll give you access to 60,000 publishers, which is even worse. No, yeah. no, I, wa- I want you to tell me, right, who is the person in my neighborhood, the source or the news organization or the local blogger who just happens to look at, you know, the quality of education in my neighborhood rather than simply just give me the local section of the big newspaper in the city. And that's what they do. They don't care really. They just care about getting you either advertising dollars for the publisher who's given the content to them or hooking you on an experience that you can never leave because it becomes this like, you know, Mm. dopamine, that brain chemical goes off when you keep refreshing your feed. They Mm -hmm. want you to keep addicted and they keep serving you. It's really funny, isn't it? When, when, when you when you when we when you actually pointed out the fact that the that the algorithm is making these decisions for you about what you're interested in, it's like a light bulb moment to suddenly say, well, hang on, why doesn't the user make those decisions themselves? Because the algorithm is often not as smart as it thinks it is. I mean, for instance, I downloaded an app on my phone that tells me about local gigs. I felt like you know I'm, I want to see more live music. I've gone through a really busy period of life with a young family. Now that's I've got a bit more time in the evenings. I want to go and see some music. But I happened to download the app as, as I was on the train passing through Hawley in Surrey. So now the app is constantly telling me about bands that are playing in Hawley <laughs> in Surrey because it thinks that's where I am. You know, it's yeah. too smart for its own good and it ends up being really stupid. Whereas if it allowed me to say, where am I actually going to be of an evening where I might catch a gig? you know, it's going to give me much more useful results. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is you put the user in control. Presumably then when you first go in or on an ongoing basis, you can set the 
put the settings as as you wish yeah and that's what then drives what news gets delivered to you exactly so the first step in the journey and hopefully within like 10 seconds of hitting the app will suggest to you where you live and you'll go yeah i live here we'll then show you all the sources that are possibly of use to you in that location we'll say what's your profession we obviously have built that source directory so we actually have sources in the background that we've assigned uh, with a bit of the smart technology to all the different possible occupations. If you don't see your occupation, you can search for it by topic. And then within about 20 seconds, you now have a channel that reflects your location and now reflects your job. Now, it's not gonna be perfect, we know that. So what we're gonna give you is the power, every time you see a piece of content to tell us, yep, that's relevant because, uh, or I don't like that because. I see, so so the because is interesting. That's more than Apple News, for instance, where you just get to like or not like. Yeah, so in the the channel, when you see the channel right now, I'm screaming out of my other apps that I use for an ability to say, no, no, that's too narrow. I don't wanna just know about that thing. I wanna broaden this out a bit or I want to promote that topic so for example big Brexit vote the day we're talking mm-hmm. uh, I want to know about Brexit right now today I don't want to see it tomorrow so I want to introduce a channel about Brexit now that's too broad or too narrow or you know I'm a friend who's a Crystal Palace supporter and he said to me I need you to give me absolutely Crystal Palace every day and nothing else mm-hmm. but on other issues I want you to give me a broad swathe of opinion I didn't expect and allow right. me promote right. stuff like within the channel. So if you think about this as almost like I want to broaden to capture new ideas or I want to distill it just to the one thing that I care about, like my football team uh, or a project I'm working on, or in this case, Brexit, I can narrow it down. And this kind yeah. of ability to almost go in and out of your uh, your interests is the first thing we do. The second is right now, if you want to say I like that, you get to give a heart, a click, a clap yeah. or Some other really shallow metric. What if you could say there's five things that matter to me? I want to be informed, surprised. I want only relevant content to my locality or I don't like this. And every time I, you know, I see something that is either positive, negative in my definition, I can tell the computer that (laughs) I can tell the algorithm that that's the thing that we're then showing up in each one of the stories that we serve. So the machine is gradually starting to learn through your absolute intention, not your subconscious instincts, what you say about yourself, what you want to do yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's something it sounds so blindingly obvious, but it's actually potentially transformative. Well, give you an example. Rather than this constant second guessing that we're exposed to, where the machine is second guessing what we want. I I give you an example. Like Spotify for me has become probably the better service Mm -hmm. that I use every day. So I have my Discover Mm -hmm. Weekly and it knows uh, my guilty pleasures. So last week it served me up XTC, if you remember, like showing my age. And there's there's one particular song I know I like, and then it recommends five other XTC songs and I don't like them. Now, in these circumstances, it catches something about my personality that I didn't even know about myself, which is great. But then it's giving me the option of, no, no, that's just the one guilty pleasure that I'll take this this week. (laughs) And next week, I don't want to see more of that. It's that ability to be able to navigate your way through your own identity. So you get a constant reward for being active and engaged. And then what's exciting for me is what happens when we get the most active and engaged new dog news audience in the world what sources and publishers do we connect them to and that second part i think is why is why we start talking i know um you know i don't want to just keep serving them up the telegraph the guardian the new york times whatever i want to give them some chance of finding an idea that makes them go huh 
I didn't know that. And that's where I suppose the serendipity, the idea of community starts to become really important for us. So I now know that what you're serving me is relevant. It's absolutely fitting my routine every day because I've only got 25 minutes. You're making good use of that time. But I also want to get out of my ordinary sources. I don't want to be continually served up with just the same bland old pop music. Uh, if there's a news equivalent of that, I want to start getting out there and discovering something that will give me some idea that I can show off and work because I now am the guy who or the, the person who suddenly knows something more than the other people that I work with, which is always a great feeling to have. And I think that's, that's a lovely feeling. Yeah. The, yeah. the return, the reward of my attention, you know, that's kind of, I think, where we see this long term being transformative is changing the way that I navigate myself to these ideas that make me go, huh? which yeah. is probably, uh, there's no written word there, but uh, you get the yeah. We know, we know what that means. So we've talked a lot about, so far about the, the, the reader, the user experience. Let's switch across to think about the publisher. So at Impress, we've got currently about 110, 111 independent news publications across the UK. England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, um, putting out news either on a very local basis or pursuing particular kinds of investigative journalism or following particular issues. Now, most, in fact, in our experience, all of those publishers are using Facebook and Twitter to reach audiences. They couldn't exist in some cases without the platforms. They gave them a fantastic point of entry into the news market that was otherwise unaffordable. But at the same time, our members, we know, feel really vulnerable to tweaks in the algorithm. Someone pushes a switch on the west coast of America and a news organization goes out of business in in the northwest of Scotland. Um, And that's a pretty frightening state of affairs. So if you're a small independent publisher listening to this podcast, what what is Kinzen offering you? So we were very inspired. I mean, the work that we've all done at Storyful, and there's actually four members of the team on Kinzen are veterans of of Storyful, including two of the the three founders. And we, when we were working on, on Storyful, did a lot of work in building out like directories of sources that were credible, verifiable, and continually provided provided some sort of like value back to the user. And in this case, we're also thinking about the same principle for Kinzen. So when you come into the app, uh, we've already prepared about 3000 sources that we think reflect uh, a wide range of priorities. We don't simply want to rely on the big newspapers or the big news publishers. We're not ignoring them, but we're also looking then for people who serve a particular community. So, you know, I think if I was an independent publisher right now, I'm not really interested anymore in trying to reach, let's say, potentially 100,000 people who might look at me for two seconds and disappear. I want to find the the thousand true fans who potentially value my content uh, to a level that, you know, no advertiser cares about. So would I rather have, let's say, a thousand people paying me five, 10 pounds a month because they care deeply about me? Or do I want to depend on Facebook serving me potentially 100,000 people who just glance at my content in their feeds every day? Clearly, we want the first, right? So we want to be able to let publishers find their true fans. So in our case, we're hopefully creating people who actively identify themselves and say, this is the community I care about. It could be, um, in my case, Dublin. 
It also mm-hmm. could be 80s pop and it could mm-hmm. be journalism. And now it's much easier for the people, the publishers who have something to say to me that's original, authentic uh, and has already appealed to a substantial community to reach me because we can easily connect those two people. Once that happens, advertising no longer plays a part in the equation. So we have no interest in trying to generate advertising on top of other people's content. As far as we're concerned, the value we're bringing to the equation is directly introducing that individual to that publisher and letting them work out the financial arrangement that will support that relationship. So we think the move from having ordinary news users who are dependent on Facebook to serve them content to a new empowered news user who essentially is a personal curator of content every day Mm. will, we hope, increase the chances of independent publishers who are serving a locality or a specific niche or I think community is a better use of the word, actually. Yeah, yeah. To find community of interest sometimes. Exactly. So it could be, you know, um, it, it could be local politics in North Carolina where my sister-in-law lives, but she's also really interested in uh, old country. So she wants to be able to find in her feed every day the original sources, not the uh, local paper covering occasionally her interests, but the, the local blogger turned publisher, the, yeah. the person who just took an interest in a particular scandal in the local area who now wants to connect with an audience. That's right. our focus. Right. It's and do you need to- those, those, those publishers, do they come to you? Do they need to sign up with Kinzen or do you go out there and scrape the internet and, and see what's out there? So right now we are, for the first couple of months, perfecting the user experience. So we have taken in all the open sources that we can find with particular attention to obviously blogs and uh, independent publishers who are already publishing for free, putting content out there. And then the next stage for us, which will probably follow within about two to three months, is putting together the first networks of independent publishers that can connect to this audience. So we're part of the civil network in the United States, which is the first kind of decentralized network of independent publishers uh, in the US with connection, obviously, uh, to the blockchain. But the, the primary thing for us is, for example, the Colorado Sun is a news organization set up by former members of the local paper who left after it was taken over. And they are part of civil. So we'll be looking to connect this independent publisher uh, by focusing on Denver, for example, where we would like hopefully to generate enough users in Denver to make a meaningful difference to the Colorado Sun. So initially, our connections to independent publishers will come from networks of independent publishers. We, for example, are looking at the way Medium are starting to do a lot more work at curating communities within Medium. Um, Mm. So it's going to be a joint venture between Kinzen and hopefully independent networks of publishers. Uh But we would hope in long term, we will work out a model where simply uh, by becoming a publisher partner, you can push your content into Kinzen and hopefully have a better chance of reaching the real community of interest. But we also have a new innovation that we'll be launching in April. And that is to allow you as a publisher, and that could be an independent publisher as well, to put a little Kinzen widget on your front page mm-hmm. and allow your users to come in and personally curate their daily routine through your website or your newsletter. Uh-huh. And so giving the ability for a publisher to continue to own that experience between them and the person they're serving. Um, for us, I think is the big difference between us and other aggregators who just take your content They advertise against it or they're the people who control that experience. We want to give the publisher 
the ability to form deeper bonds of connection to the people that care about them. And from that point of view, we hope the Kinzen experience will be served up initially in a mobile app, but we're hoping in years to come, people will go, oh yeah, that's, that's a newsletter that's powered by Kinzen technology. And that's allowing that publisher to serve me a range of content every day. So they become my kind of like anchor every morning. Um, and that's, I suppose, you know, primarily location based, but we also think that it could be uh, around topics as well. So we hope we're doing something that's very different to the current round of aggregators and, and people who are sort of uh, trying to take your content and monetize it. And you mentioned a really important word back there, which is about credible, verifiable sources of news and information. And it kind of makes me think, um, just, just, just pulling back a little bit, looking at the last few years, you know, when we got Impress moving over five years ago now, it seemed to many people a really perverse, even threatening idea that we should stand up and say, the public don't trust a lot of the news that they're consuming. They want to trust it. It's important. It plays a huge role in their lives. We need to find some new way of, of, of measuring trustworthiness, maybe even trying to drive up the standards of journalism. Now, my sense from the Impress perspective over the last five years is that what was once a really weird position has become kind of pretty much industry standard. Everyone is now talking about trust, credibility, verification, and so on. Is that is that your sense, Mark, as well? That it something is, yeah. has, has massively moved in the conversation, which it's, I think is... It's an, it's an opportunity for us, right? It's stunning. I mean, I think out of every crisis, there is an opportunity um, for a new way of thinking. And so people who sounded like they were complete weirdos and headbangers, which I yeah. know when I started out, I mean, I left uh, a great pensionable job as a as a TV anchorman. And my friends thought I was having a nervous breakdown. And I was saying, <laughs> no, 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 no. What's going to happen is social media is going to be the source of most of the content you see every day. And they're like, that's crazy talk. Mm. Um, Clearly, we didn't count on the second problem, which was how do you sort the stuff that's not verifiable from the stuff that's true? And I think one of the things we found with Storyful was when we started to create community. So I'll give you an example. When we were trying to work out what was true in Syria, we suddenly started to see amateurs coming to us going, mm. hey, I'm an expert in mm. Russian munitions and I can yes. help you yeah. identify the tail fin number on that mortar. And we were like, this crazy stuff. We had one guy, a guy called Elliot Higgins, well, um, yeah. who was no, an amateur Elliot sleuth. Elliot may be listening to this. He's he one may of our members. Uh, yeah, and, and Elliot was doing work, which, you know, everyone was so skeptical about because he was, by all intents, an amateur. Mm. And Elliot, I think, has been an absolute trailblazer. In, yeah. in He's become Bellingcat, if you don't know yeah. Bellingcat probably one of the most important uh, truth tellers, truth seekers in the world. They really build a, a business and an operation and almost a movement around verification from an amateur. Um, so we were in Storyful lucky enough to work with Elliot to begin with and lots of people who just had, they knew something more than others. And we're bringing the same principle to Kinzen. We have about 500 people in a test group right now who are looking at all the sources that we have and they're telling us something more about the source. They're adding sources, you know, making hard decisions. Uh, there may be a very right wing or a very left wing source people don't like, but we're like, well, no, keep it in there. Just tell me more about it. So I think in the way that we are trying to promote sources, we're not banning necessarily sources unless we know they are proven sources of 
disinformation, propaganda, misinformation, but more trying to give the user an easy way to find out, you know, what baggage that source carries and, you know, show them a little bit more about the source. And if we can at Kinzen help, and I think there are third party technology sources now that we can we can leverage like uh, verification source like NewsGuard and trust metrics, ways of actually detecting the credibility or, or otherwise of sources, along with people who care deeply about particular topics, you know, we can use a community then to navigate between credible uh, and, and sources that are, are sources of misinformation. So I think having really um, enthusiastic people who know something about a topic and giving them a bit of power to share their knowledge with the community is one of the most effective ways of sorting out the credible yeah. from the, yeah. the untrusted uh, yeah. sources yeah. in the world. Yeah. It's really interesting. I remember, you know, in the early days of Impress, there was still this very strong sense in the in the British media, at least, and I think you see it in other countries, that journalists must stick together, whether they're tabloid, broadsheet, mid-market, broadcast. Actually, those different kinds of journalists are operating in very different ways, very different cultures, very different standards. But if you try to say, um, hang on, some of this journalism is just better than other other examples. Some people are trying harder to get the facts right and to inform the audience, and some aren't really trying so hard. They're trying to entertain, titillate, amuse, shock, push a political agenda, or simply sell advertising. Um, that was that was a kind of heretical thought to say that to people within the industry. There was a sense of no, no, no. We, we we're, we're part of a tribe, and the tribe sticks together. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things that that's 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 because of maybe because of all these new players, people like Elliot. I mean, I know Elliot, and I know that he began Bellingcat in his spare bedroom in, 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 at home in Leicester. And it's like you say, it's now become this groundbreaking, newsbreaking organization um, that, you know, they're the people who publish the identity of the Skripal poisoners. I mean, they're doing serious international news, but they come from completely outside that old Fleet Street establishment, and they seem to be much less concerned about sticking with the tribe. So I see it really exciting. I mean, it's, it's, it's at the same time, it's clearly... Um, like any moment of major disruption, alarming for some people. Some people are, are going to suffer from this big disruption, but I think many others are going to come in and make something of it. I think so, and I think what's really interesting about the way you've approached it, and, and I agree with completely, is one thing we found from Storyful was that people's stature, right, it used to be that you were a correspondent. I'm a TV journalist, get out of the way. I'm the one who's going to tell you the truth, because I had a label next to my name. You know, I was TV anchorman. Um, I was the environment correspondent. And I suddenly realized with the, with, with the social web particularly, and Twitter's a great example of this, why I love Twitter, is you're stature and authority is based on the depth of your engagement with the community you serve. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a journalist or correspondent. If a community trusts you and over time learns that you're committed to their interests, you, like Elliot Higgins, will elevate yourself. And I think if we can start to put down in real concrete principles, what are the characteristics of a trusted source for a community? We're going to find that you know most journalists from credible organizations still fit that category if they didn't take themselves so seriously. 
and a whole range of other people who used to be called citizen journalists, which was a kind of a bit of a, an awkward phrase. But I think they're going to be people who just know something about mm. a subject. So it could mm. be somebody, uh, an estate agent, who just knows about a property crash and sets up a blog and says, I'm going to tell you the truth about property prices. That person, I think, should be a credible source just as much as the person writing for the Financial Times about property if they've demonstrated that they have some trust built up with the community, because that for me is the mark of a credible source, not whether you come from a specific newspaper. Um, And if you are from a specific newspaper, in many cases, you're writing 25 stories a day, you're pushing it out to generate clicks. What if you had one person doing one thoughtful blog post a day and finding five, 6,000 people who deeply care about their opinion? I'll go with the latter every Mm. time. And that's the one thing I'd, 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 yeah, but the one thing I'd add is that I do think it's interesting. So within press, many of our members, like I say, fairly new organisations that have sprung into life in the last five or ten years. Uh, let's say roughly half of them are led by people who've come out of the media. They've come out of a broadcaster or a, a, a corporately owned local newspaper group or a national, um, and the other half are coming out of community activism, political campaigning the NGO world. Now, they're meeting in the middle somewhere, and I think where they're meeting is is really exciting. It's often really engaged, passionate, issues-driven journalism, but they're kind of the, the norms and the cultural expectations are quite different. And sometimes there's a bit of a learning process for people who are very passionate, very knowledgeable about what they believe, but just need a bit of time to understand that, you know, fact-checking, double-sourcing, giving people an opportunity to comment on a story if you're going to write something negative about them. Some of those things that journalists take for granted, we kind of think it impress actually those those are really important values for trustworthy content. So I guess that's the thing that we also want to fold into the mix is not just knowing something about an issue, but being prepared to take those extra steps, which I think is what then really commands trust above and beyond um, anything else out there on the internet. And it's best, you know, journalism should be the most trustworthy information that you can find. That's a really good point. I think there's certain, like for me personally, I came from, as I say, I was 20 years a journalist. I was a foreign correspondent, um, Mm -hmm. spent 20 years. And when I came into this whole area of social media, it was to try reclaim and and, and sustain journalism was my objective because I could Mm -hmm. see it being disintegrating under the weight of social platforms. And so I think what you're saying there, for example, is there common elements for a trusted source, whether you're a journalist Mm -hmm. or an activist? I think Mm -hmm. things like being open to correction. Um, you know, uh, listening to people in your community tell you got it wrong and finding a way to integrate that into your thought process, being curious, not being fixed to one position. So every single um, political issue has, has the one single outcome. I think that's another uh, area I think we, we need to be thinking about defining. And then finally, I think the ability to stick to the point, you know, yes. to be serving a community and not wandering off yeah. um, to have the scattergun approach to, to what you're doing. Because generally, I think particularly non-journalists are really good at picking one community and serving that community well. And where I think they they wander into a very dangerous area is where they're trying to appeal to millions of people because of the uh, how loud they are or how shrill their voice is instead of focusing on serving the particular community that they yep. gathered in the first yep. place. Yep. The final thing I would say is, is transparency. 
Um, if you are, um, a, a, you know, an environmental activist, you're basing, you know, your campaign on the idea that there's a problem and I have a solution, be absolutely open about that. Um, so you may have a starkly different opinion to other people, but as long as you're open, I think that is a tremendously healthy thing. So my fear always in these cases is that we will get back into echo chambers where I want to hear somebody um, telling me something I don't know and maybe don't agree with. And I want to be able to share that. The one final thing I would say is, is really we do have to establish certain principles of shared fact. So, you know, we don't debate in the morning whether the rain is raining. It's it's rain. It's not liberal rain or conservative rain. It's just rain. The weather forecast <laughs> is the weather. Are you may find a climate scientist who disagrees with that. <laughs> and there's a good example. But I think, for example, if we talk about um, science-based reasoning, you know, we do have to make some hard decisions. Are, are we going to uh, give credibility to an anti-vaccination source? Or, or are we going to make a stand and say, no, there are certain, certain shared facts where, you know, we believe in science-based reasoning on climate change or on vaccinations for our kids and we're not going to promote uh, sources that promote conspiracy theories and, and uh, you know, things that go away from that. So there are difficult decisions we have to make about where we draw the line of what is shared fact uh, and where we go into opinions that are valid and, and necessary. But that's, I think, the gray area right now that is probably most worrying for me is um, there is a certain uh, anti-establishment, anti-elite, where just because of an establishment source, it's automatically suspect. And just because I'm a radical anti-establishment source, I'm more credible. There's a little bit of that. So, yeah, yeah, I think what you're saying is absolutely right. Can we find a balance between what was best about journalism and what is great about the activism of new sources? And I think where I come come from is journalists have got to stop just being, you know, uh, totally impartial. Right. There's, you know, these, these, what Jay Rosen, the, the, the media theorist calls the view from nowhere. Um, I used to have a stopwatch in studios when I was doing referendum campaigns in Ireland. And we had to give the opposition and the proposition 30 seconds each it was stopwatch. Now, is that the way to run a debate? No. Um, so I think we do have to look at this concept of impartiality and objectivity and think maybe we should be thinking more about solutions journalism than simply identifying problems or giving equal weight to, to, to opinions. That's where I think it's an exciting opportunity. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think just before we finish, I mean, it just reminds me, we're really proud at Impress. Our patron is Sir Harry Evans, who edited the, the Sunday Times and the Times for many years uh, in the 60s, 70s and 80s. And, um, you know, Harry is particularly known and, and, and revered for his work on behalf of the thalidomide victims, that generation of children who, who, who were born with a range of conditions as a result of their mothers taking this drug, thalidomide. And he ran that campaign for a very long time against massive legal, political, cultural challenge. Um, Wasn't always the campaign that generated the most readers. And, you know, if he was running that campaign now, when every every article is, you know, you're seeing a big wall of how many hits it's getting and how many shares it's getting, who knows whether that campaign would have, have, uh, you know, jumped through the right hoops. But he ran it and he was passionately engaged and he is still engaged with that community. And I've been in a room with him and some of the, 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 the who are now middle-aged adults, but who were the kids back at the start of the campaign who see him as, as their as their hero. But there's, there's, but there's no point in that process where he let his emotions run away with him or didn't check the facts. It was all about the facts. That, that's what made it a great 
issue of campaigning journalism. I so I think I completely agree. Point, you know. Yeah. I think the thing for me briefly is to say that the, the, a lot of newspaper executives who love digital mistake this this issue. They say, well, we get most of our clicks from Kim Kardashian. We only get a small number from that serious topic. What they don't understand is the trust that you build from focusing on an issue that benefits your community, even if it's not the most popular thing on your site, is immeasurable. It's yeah. the basis of your business. You know, the old Baghdad Bureau never made money for the TV broadcaster. It was always the ads, uh, in the case of newspapers, um, supplements but that's what gave you a reason to exist yeah and i always say to journalists if you disappear tomorrow what would people miss that's the way you judge your value and who you are and your identity mm. they may like the fact that you've got a killer recipe for chili and they may like the idea that you've got the best profile on andy murray but in the end of the day why do they come to you because you are the times the guardian or whoever and that for me is always my, my question to digital executives who tell me, no, no, I'm just looking at Chartbeat. That's telling me that the story needs to be covered. Mm. And that's fine. Mm. Burn you out and it will kill you off in the long yeah. term. And I think that's my yeah. my sort of old fart message. <laughs> 20-something digital executives is, no, no. Well, I think, remember, Harry Evans is a good moniker. But, uh, you know, I kind of say, what would they miss? Yeah. They're not going to miss yeah. your chip recipe. They're going to miss your coverage of an issue that you were born to cover. I think that's a great note on which to end, Mark. Um, thank you so much for joining us. That's been a okay. fascinating discussion. It's been a privilege for me and I hope for our listeners. Just a couple of things I need to say to our listeners. Um, do remember to subscribe to our newsletter on the site, impress.press, to follow everything that we're up to at Impress and all the previous podcasts are there under the multimedia tab. Follow, follow us on Twitter if you want to use these juggernauts of social media um, before Kinzen has transformed the world. <laughs> Uh, we are on Twitter at Impress Project. And also, if you know someone wants to get in touch with us about a regulatory issue, go to the website, impress.press forward slash complaints. If you're a publisher listening to this, you want to join Impress, go to the website, impress.press slash join Impress. Um, and to all of our listeners and to you, Mark, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation and we look forward to talking again. Great. I hope it's just the first, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm.